Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. This week's topic, some prisoners are tackling violence and winning. Can we? An interview with Steve Gelb. Violence is something our world has too much of, and many people are trying to change that. One such group is the Alternative to Violence Project, AVP, active in 33 U.S. states and 45 countries. It was founded by the Quakers based on their belief in our inborn potential for peace, but it's gone beyond the Quaker community and has been picked up by many others in many venues. Is it working? Do we have an inborn potential for peace? What brings it out? On this show, we talk to Stephen Gelb, a guy who has been working with AVP in the California prison system. He will share about building brotherhood with male prisoners and how it's impacted him, and we'll discuss what his experience means for us all. So let's find out what AVP is accomplishing and what more our society can do to integrate our prison population and bring their gifts to our world. But beyond that, let's think about what more we can do to heal the violence, physical and emotional, in our world. And now, here's Beth. Hi. Welcome, everybody. I am so glad that we're uh, doing this show right now. I have been in a funk all day, and I'm expecting Steve, James, and you guys out there in the audience to give me a lift. So, you may think you have tuned in to get some information or have a laugh, but you actually have tuned in because I need a lift. And so, well, the first thing I need a lift about is the news, you know. How can you not get depressed sometimes when you're reading the news, right? Anyway. Right. right. All right. So, you know, the inner revolution is about the movement of consciousness towards oneness, accountability, and mutual support. Well, sometimes I feel like I'm just like drowning in the lack of oneness, accountability, mutual support. But we have a mixed a bag of news. Let me share some of it with you. First of all, the thing that I notice about the news this week, this is not unusual, but that there is so much news about people who have power that they'll do anything to keep it, right? So we're going to start out with voting rights. The Washington Post published a story on September 5th about what they called the ugliest, most shameful spectacle in American politics, the Republican Party's systematic attempt to disenfranchise African Americans and other minorities with voter ID laws and other restrictions at the polls. If you thought this kind of discrimination died with Jim Crow, think again. Now, the good news is that federal courts courts have blocked implementation of some of the worst new laws, at least for now, but it ain't over yet because the Washington Post also reported on September 5th that Virginia has filed legislation that would bar people convicted of violent felonies um, from ever having their voting rights restored. Now, it just so happens, coincidentally, are you going to be shocked? What do you think? Disproportionate number of people convicted of violent felonies happen to be African-American, right? Just another coincidence. So in about 40 states, people convicted of serious crimes regain their voting rights upon discharge from prison or completion of parole. In a handful of others, convicts either are never disenfranchised or automatically regain their rights after a waiting period. So there it is. 
one more effort to disenfranchise, another coincidental effort to disenfranchise uh, African Americans. Now, we had a show on last week, for those of you who listened, and for those of you who didn't, you really should listen to the podcast, because we were talking about growing income inequality, that it would take 228 years for a an average black family to catch up to the wealth of the average white family today. See, 228 years for them to get to where we are now. And this is average family. So, you know, when you have institutionalized racism, I mean, what you have is people, of course, trying to protect their privilege and so on and so on. So that's what this whole, you'll see, there's so much about this. And it's not just about voting rights and race. And by the way, NPR, National Public Radio, reported on 9-7 that voting rights advocates in North Carolina say that Republicans are trying to sidestep a recent court decision and make it harder for African Americans to vote, despite the court. Well, here's another version of how people are not accountable, they're not mutually supportive, it's, you know, ego, ego, give to me and let's protect ourselves. Corporate power continues to rear its disproportionate influence. Now, I get it. You know, corporations are people, right? <laughs> they have feelings. And um, they have, of course, something to say about how things go. But don't you think they have a little bit too much to say? Well, you may be aware or you may not be aware that Native peoples and environmentalists have been protesting the Army Corps of Engineers' decision to grant permits for Dallas-based Energy Transfer Partners Dakota Access Pipeline, which crosses the Dakotas and Iowa to Illinois, including near a reservation in southern North Dakota. Now, some people live there. You know, this is not like, you know, empty desert, right? People live there. In fact, James was born in North Dakota. So That's right. Our listener, Elizabeth, sent us an article with videos of protesters being attacked with pepper spray and dogs by private security guards hired by the oil companies. This story is really only beginning to gain more traction. But you don't have to be concerned with sacred burial rights to be concerned about the environmental impact of yet another pipeline. Now, didn't you think it was all over when the Keystone Pipeline was, like, sacked, right? No. No, that was just one little victory. In the meantime, it goes on and on. And I mean, what I want to know is when are we going to change our policy toward more fossil fuel drilling on public land and dangerous pipelines, pipelines, when indeed, I mean, you win a victory, but there it is, because these guys are after their profits, understandably. All right, I get it. They're concerned. They want to be able to have a $500,000 wedding for their daughter. You know, I mean, these are things we can have empathy for. But there is the fate of the planet that is at risk. Now, I'm going to tell you another downer, but then we'll get to the sort of uppers. All right. Um, on, it's not, to, oh, this is what I want to say to you about this. It's not just corporations that promote their power at anyone's expense. And it isn't just white people. It's human beings. Huffington Post shared with us on September 4th that if humans, and that would be us, continue down our current path, we may soon find ourselves living in a world with no other great apes, except some of our political candidates. I didn't say that. On Sunday... 
The eastern gorilla, the largest living primate species, was listed as critically endangered, which means that four out of the six non-human great ape species are listed as critically endangered. And the other two, which includes our friends, the chimpanzees, you know, for the movies and everything, they are listed as endangered. You know, is that important? Yeah, it's important. I mean, these are our, these are our relatives. These are our relations, you know. These are like us in so many ways. And we just like, oh, well, too bad, you know. And not only that, even from the perspective of our own self-interest, wouldn't it be helpful to keep around some species, you know, that we might learn something about ourselves? But in the meantime, President Obama and China have just ratified the historic Paris Accord to combat climate change. And more nations need to join. But as we're reading this, see, at today I read that California Governor Jerry Brown just signed a law committing the state to some of the dr- most drastic greenhouse gas emission reductions in the world. The state must reduce its greenhouse gas emissions up to 40% below 1990 levels. Hey. And a second measure was also signed today, which shifts the trajectory of the state's environmental policies by creating a legislative committee to oversee regulators, giving lawyers more say on how uh, lawmakers is probably what it should say. I typed this out. Uh, More say on how climate goals are met, including steps to curb local pollution, which is extremely important. So we see some steps. We see some people like in California really taking steps. And we are like on the brink, right? Because talk about lack of accountability, our lack of accountability for our behavior and our pollution and the way we've treated the planet are driving us to extinction, not just the other apes. But at the same time, there go those corporate giants, many of them who are actually touting their support for Obama's environmental agency, uh, excuse me, agenda, are also backing that agenda's biggest opponents. Now, listen to this. Companies including DuPont, Google, and PepsiCo... Google, did you hear that? Google, oh my God, Google, are, you know, tech, clean tech. And PepsiCola donated to droves of U.S. lawmakers who refused to accept the scientific consensus on humanity's role in climate change, according to Reuters. Now... Why is that? Of course, what they're saying is, well, there are so many other things that are at stake, not just climate, and that could make us really want to support somebody. But I smell a rat, don't you? Especially when you think of climate change, mass extinction, you know, that's that's pretty much the biggie of our time. And speaking about the colas, our listener Christine sent us an article indicating (laughs) You're going to die when you hear this. That more Coca-Cola ties are being seen inside the U.S. Center for Disease Control. Is this crazy? That means that through these people, Coca-Cola is seeking to influence world health authorities on sugar and beverage policy matters. I think we should let Coca-Cola decide how much sugar our children should drink, don't you? But now here's something fun, something upbeat. By the way, I already do feel better. Thank you so much for listening to the show. (laughs) I feel better already. Now, here's some of the fun. 
Sales of San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick jerseys have skyrocketed in the wake of his refusal to stand for the national anthem, which he says is a protest against America's treatment of black people and people of color. And by the way, he has indicated that he is not against all police, no matter how much the policemen are trying to make it look like that's the case. In fact, I think I read somewhere that he has relatives in the police force. Anyway, now... This is interesting. A Seahawk player, that's another NFL. These are NFL football players, right? Uh, Seattle, Seattle Seahawks, Washington. Okay. A Seahawk player has joined in solidarity, and some of the Seahawks have said that they've got a surprise plan, but nobody quite knows what it is you know, about this issue. So it looks like maybe some of the other football players are going to get into the act. And it's amazing to see that there is, there really is some consciousness there. Of course, how many of our major football players are people of color who are getting bashed and destroyed for the sake of making a lot of money for the NFL? Anyway, another good news bit. Finally, actually it isn't finally, a little mosque in Copenhagen, Denmark joined a quiet revolution last week by hosting his first Friday prayer led by a woman. Traditionally, Friday prayers limited to and led by men or women tend to be stuck in some inaccessible spots. I'm, I should have said they are limited to. The Mariam Mosque in Copenhagen, one of the few worldwide run by women, is limiting Friday prayers to women and generally maintaining the mosque as a space for women. Now, we read a similar story about this in L.A. Mosque a few months ago. We shared that on the news of the inner revolution. So there's quite a bit of inner revolution. But I have to tell you that many traditionalists say that this practice harks back to the prophet and that in the prophet's times, women were much more active in the mosque. So this the idea that women lead prayers and so on, is that they can't, is not necessarily from Islam itself, right? It could be a cultural thing that uh, got attached to it like a barnacle, right? And now this is the finally. All right. I can't finish the news of the inner revolution without making a commentary about Donald Trump. And his admiration for Vladimir Putin. I mean, you know, I'm supposed to be an inner revolutionary, right? Oneness, accountability, and mutual support. I get so stuck when it comes to Donald Trump. His latest is, of course, in a town hall meeting last night, you know, that he was, you know, such an admirer of Vladimir Putin. He knows how to control his people guys of course he does he kills the people he doesn't like or he has them killed i'm not saying he goes out there and he stabs them with a poison pen knife you know he has them killed if you're a journalist in russia you are in one of the deadliest environments and this is the guy that our presidential republican presidential nominee is admiring and he says great things about Putin, and he thinks that Putin is going to continue to say great things about him. Isn't that touching? Isn't that really something that Donald Trump has a pal and it, in the Kremlin, one of the monsters of the modern age? And, uh, but 
just if you think that this craziness is uh, uh, Trump's alone, of course, Mike Pence had to, you know, chime in and agree with this. But I was reading a conservative commentary about this, and he wasn't happy about what Donald said about Putin. But he did have to add this. After all, Obama is the worst president in modern times. The worst president? Excuse me? Does he not remember George W. Bush? Does he not remember that we invaded Iraq with absolutely no provocation on trumped up evidence that has destabilized the entire Middle East and may very well be responsible for the rise of the Islamic State? Doesn't he remember the financial crisis uh, under uh, George W., where, you know, we almost lost our entire auto industry and uh, the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression? But no. Oh, no. President Obama is clearly the worst president we've had, at least in modern times, maybe all the way back to the beginning of time. And by the way, they never mention that the economy is better. They never, and I'm not saying the economy is great or fair. You know, we always talk about income inequality. But the unequal treatment of President Obama just makes me sick. And by the way, they're always touting how terribly uh, Obama is handling foreign policy, even though the Islamic State now has about half the territory that it had just two years ago. But I don't hear them talk about that. And uh, Okay, I got one more thing to say about that, and then we're going to bring on Steve, and he's going to cheer me up some more. Uh, I just wanted to add one more thing. What? I've, re- I've read the opposite, that Obama is one of the most consequential presidents of having accomplished more than most presidents in modern history. That's right. But that's worse because he brought in some progressive things like he recognizes climate change. I mean, what's wrong with that man? And he was a leader in that field. He was. And, and, you and know, is. And is. And, okay, he hasn't gone as far as I would like him to go. But um, there is one more thing that I was going to say, but now I can't remember what it was. Okay, it was, I was talking about Obama. Oh, yes. Do we care if the Islamic State has lost half its territory? Of course not. We don't care about that. We only care about terrorism. Why? Because terrorism could happen in our neighborhood. And the suffering of people across some other place in the world doesn't count, does it, James? After all, (laughs) you know. My my hangnail causes me much more pain than the pain of those people. That's right. That's right. There really is no oneness. But now we're going to have Steve Gelb come on, and he's going to tell us all about oneness, and he's going to tell us about oneness in prison. We're going to talk about the ego, and he's going to make me feel way better. So welcome, Steve. Thank you, Beth. I'm happy to be here with you. Well, we're happy to have you, too. Did you gag on the news? (laughs) Well, I'll just say one thing that I really appreciated was your calling out the wonderful nonviolent work done by the Native Americans um, in the DAPL, because I think one of the things that has bothered me so much is how little attention that's receiving. So thank you for mentioning that. Thank you, Steve. I know. Isn't that something? You know, it's like it doesn't exist. It's not in my backyard, and it doesn't exist. Oh, and it's just Native Americans, after all, for some crazy environmentalists. 
I know, I know. Every time uh, Donald Trump coughs, that's the most important news story of the day. So, Steve, tell us about AVP, where it comes from, how it developed, and how did you get involved? I'm really happy to talk about AVP. So AVP was actually initiated by inmates in in a prison in New York State back in the mid-70s. They were looking for a way to influence younger men not to follow the path that they had taken and not to make the same mistakes. Uh, Groups started something called a, a, a sort of a think tank where they were looking for ways to to discuss things and and to find new ways of of being in the world. They reached out to a local Quaker group that was visiting their prison. And then they had input also from the civil rights movement through Bernard Lafayette, who was a close confidant of Dr. Martin Luther King. Mm. And the result was a remarkable um, kind of workshop that I can only describe as magical um, because it creates really a, a safe and caring container that al- allows men who have oftentimes lived lives of you know, deep violence and suffering yeah. To, yeah. To, take down, to take off their masks, sometimes for the first time in decades, to, to see positive sides of themselves and other people, and to and to take joy in being part of a community in which they see their connection with with all other people, um, and and how similar we all are. So I was fortunate enough to become involved about four years ago, when a friend of mine uh, told me she had gone to a prison and been in one of these workshops and described it as being very transformative. Uh, so I was interested, and so I I did a. You know, there are three levels of workshops in AVP. Oh, hold on a second. So sure. there, there are women who do these programs too. Or oh, she, Okay, so they're in, they're in women's prisons as well as men's prisons. Yes, when both of us, men and women, go into both kinds of prisons. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so then I experienced um, some of my training in, in uh, the three levels of AVP training to become a facilitator in a prison near where I live, which is in San Diego, in the California State Prison called Richard J. Donovan Correctional Facility. And as soon as I was, I mean, I went into the prison with all kinds of fears and, and fantasies about what I might encounter. What kind of a prison was it? Well, it's uh, in California, there are four levels of prison. Um, and this was a uh, the yard I was going into was a level three yard. Level four is the most maximum security. And so I, it's a pretty high level of security. Absolutely. And I would say that probably most of the people that I've worked with are in prison because they murdered somebody. Mm. Um, most often it was somebody that they killed when they were teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. The, the typical trajectory is somebody who grows up in a very disadvantaged neighborhood, encountering all kinds of violence, abandonment, drugs, gangs, and maybe on drugs themselves is either present or commits an act of terrible violence, and then finds themselves in prison, sometimes for life, yeah, and, de- yeah. and decades later, 
they are seeking a way to redeem themselves, a way to understand themselves. Um, and it's a rem- I feel very grateful to be in their company and to be able to be part of that journey. Uh, I should also mention that the AVP workshops, um, we don't go in as educators who have answers. We go in as facilitators. And when I facilitate, I'm on a team with inmates who are also facilitators. And we're all equal. And every person is entitled to their own experience. We don't tell people what they need to learn or what they, how they should experience um, the workshop. And the people who come are coming as volunteers. And the people who are facilitating are also volunteers, which is one of the remarkable things about AVP, that it's spread all over the world, and it has no hierarchy. It's, it's a completely democratic and egalitarian organization. That's kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous. Yes, I think that's true. I think, uh, I think there are similarities that way. So... Um now, when I'm fascinated by the story you told because I didn't get that that was the history that it started with prisoners reaching out. And were they uh, being supported by, where was this, uh, the prisoners and the first uh, AVP? The very first prison was a prison called Greenhaven Prison in, in New York State. Okay. And were they, how did they do it? How did they, uh, did they have the support of the uh, you know, the administration, how did they manage to reach people to get this going? I mean, that's an amazing story, isn't it? I think it is amazing. Um, these men have been coming together really to reflect and explore and learn with the approval of the prison authorities. So this was, they started with their own meetings yeah. With the approval, and it had nothing to do with anybody else. So they had been meeting with each other for a while to talk about where they came from and what was going on with them. Is, is that, that the kind of thing that they were doing? I, I think their primary motivation was to, to find a way to make a difference in the lives of younger people. Well, how were they going to do that? How were they going to get their message out of the prison to that po- vulnerable population? That's a, that's a good question. I think um, they were working to, actually, I think they, they had set up some, uh, some visits in which young people who were really at high risk for going into prison themselves got to come and visit and hear from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, at the same time, there were Quakers who were working in those prisons Oh, they were already working in the prison? Yes, yes. Ah, okay. And so there were discussions, and AVP um, owes a tremendous, uh, a tremendous debt to, to the Quaker movement. Yeah. Uh, two of the, the founders, Larry Apsey um, and Lee Stern, were longtime Quaker nonviolent leaders doing all kinds of work for nonviolence in many movements and in many places across the country and the world. So I think some of the basic ways of communicating in AVP workshops come out of the Quaker sensibility. One, one of them, for example, is that decisions are made by consensus. Mm-hmm. So we're, when we're on a team, a facilitation team, everyone's voice is listened to and we keep talking until we reach a consensus 
as to what we want to do. And there is no, there is nobody telling other people what to do. That is fascinating. By the way, do you remember, uh, you just brought this to my mind. Uh, there was, I, I, I did a cheat. I looked this up to make sure of the date because I don't have a good memory, Steve. <laughs> there was a documentary in 1978 called Scared Straight. Uh-huh. And it was, it was uh, the documentary is a group of juvenile delinquents and their three-hour session with actual convicts who were uh, these group of inmates were known as lifers, and they berate, scream at, and terrify the young offenders at an att- attempt to scare them straight, which does not at all sound like the approach that AVP is using, which sounds more like love people straight or connect to people straight. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I should mention, since you brought it up, that AVP is very active doing workshops with young people. Um, You may have heard of uh, Father Gregory Boyle, who does work in L.A. He's written an amazing book called Tattoos on the Heart that I can't recommend enough about the approach you're talking about. Um, He works in South Central L.A., and he started something called Homeboys Industry, um, which ministers to kids in the ghetto who are um, in gangs or at risk of going into gangs. And there are uh, many AVP workshops taking place at Homeboy Industries with those youth. So, um, how, you know, what is the impact that these AVP workshops have on outsiders? I want to know about, you know, how it works for the guys who are in them. I assume that they're supporting each other as well. Uh, But starting, since you've been talking about uh, working out in the community or reaching out to the community, how much success would you honestly say they're having in uh, helping kids go in another direction? You know, there has been a lot of research done on AVP, and it has shown, you know, really positive, strongly positive effects. Um, I think most of it's been done on on the fact that AVP lowers recidivism rates from people who have had AVP. Mm. Um, I would just be making something up if I tried to tell you about um, the effects uh, other than anecdotal on, on, on youth. But I can just tell you about, you know, the transformations in people that I've seen, which are so remarkable. Okay, tell us. You know, there's a man, there's a couple of men who have uh, recently come out of prison, who were in prison for decades one who I did wor- workshops with while he was still in prison, in Calipatria State Prison. And he t- he's told this story many times of being what they call a shot caller in a gang. A shot caller is somebody who's actually telling people who should be beaten up or who should be killed. Um, big, tattooed, muscular, scary guy. Yeah. Uh, who spent a lot of time in solitary confinement. And he talked about how one time he came to see his daughter, who could only see him through glass because of the fact that he was doing so badly in prison and was in solitary confinement. Mm. His daughter looked at him and said to him, Dad, are you ever going to get to hug me again? Oh, God. Wow. and he said he went back to he went you know he's he built his whole life on 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 being violent and intimidating people yeah. and 
and getting what he wanted through threats and violence. And he said he went back to his cell and he just began to sob. Yeah, and yeah. and he made a decision at that moment to become the father that his daughter saw him as being, mm-hmm. and that brought him to AVP. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, about thirty-five years later, this man is one of the most gentle, sensitive, kind human beings I've ever met, and one of the wisest. Um, is he still in jail? No, he got out recently, and now he's doing AVP workshops in the community with us. Mm-hmm. We have a lot, we, there, there's many men like this, um, and there's a, I, you know, I just wish I could communicate to you the level of, of goodness and self-actualization that such people have, have arrived at. Um, you know, a prison is such a harsh environment. There's not much there that's not yeah. dark and depressing and everything has been taken away. Yeah. Um, and so people who take a spiritual path and are really serious about it in prison are some of the most impressive human beings I've ever met. Yeah, they would have to have been pretty amazing to start with. Like Nelson Mandela, you know, you look at that exactly. and say, how did he manage <laughs> you know, how did he right. manage? So, yeah, they, they must be pretty amazing people even to begin with. Well, I don't think to begin with. I mean, I think they they change over time. And part of it is honestly facing their own pain, honestly facing their own crimes and all the people they've hurt. Oh, I, I understand what you're saying. But what I meant from the, from the beginning is that some people have an amazing capacity to look at themselves, to be honest, and to change. And that's what I'm talking about, that they have something within them. And that is so important because you can't give that to someone. <laughs> you know, you can't make, uh, you know, I don't know, a pig okay. out was, of, a, you know. I would slightly disagree in the sense that I think it's much more than an individual decision. I, I work at one prison now, I volunteer, where there's a yard that has 900 men living there. And on that yard, 300 people are involved with AVP and 300 are on a waiting list. And it's due to people who go through AVP and decide this is so life-changing, this is so important, that they're on a mission to try and bring other people in and to save more lives. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I don't think I express myself uh, correctly. Because I totally believe in that. In fact, I believe we are a collective consciousness. And what you're saying is such an amazing, uh, you know, um, expression of that. Because it is so much easier for someone to make a transformation when there's real support there. Exactly. So, no, 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 no. I don't disagree with that at all. In fact, that is so so much of the the beliefs of the innerrevolution.org, you know, my organization, is we're trying to build a, a, a culture of consciousness so that people can do it without having to be Nelson Mandela. But, <laughs> do you I'm know sure. what I'm saying? So I don't disagree with that at all. But I, what, I'm, you know, what I'm trying to say, and obviously I'm not saying it well, is that, there, that people have within them, you know, you, there has to be something that sits, resides within the human heart 
that can be reached. You know, it's like that story that you told about that guy who saw his little girl because he could have gone the other way with that. You know, it's like, oh, get out of my face. You know, I, I mean, I've seen that so many times, people inter- being intervened with. Let's say you're an alcoholic and there's an intervention by your family and, you know, your daughter is crying and says, Dad, you know, you're sleeping under a bridge. You know, we want you back and we love you and all of that. And one guy says, oh, yeah, sure, stuff it. You know, and the other guy breaks down in tears and then, <laughs> you know, and makes a change. And uh, and I want to believe that everybody, and of course I seem to be contradicting myself, but I want to believe that everybody has that somewhere within them. You know, yeah. that, that capacity, that's that, what the Quaker quote that we got. Or, you know, the, the capacity for good, the potential for goodness. Yes. We want to believe that's in there. And some people need a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of support. And some people, it turns on like in the most uh, amazing ways. But it doesn't matter. We all need to develop a support system so the best of us is brought out. Yes, I agree completely. And that's also one of the fundamental beliefs of the AVP program. Um, We talk about the idea of transforming power, which came from Larry Epsey. And it's the notion, just as you said, Beth, that that there is something that resides in all of us. Yeah. That if we let ourselves be used by it, we can transform situations that are in conflict to positive outcomes. Yeah. And that's what we work on. So now tell us a little bit about what does an AVP workshop look like? You know, what are these guys doing? Yeah, wonderful. The workshops are completely experiential. In other words, there's no lecturing, there's no teaching, and they really consist of four basic components. One is affirmation, which is actually helping people to find positive things in themselves and others. Um, People in prison especially are living with so much shame Mm -hmm. um, and have such a negative view of themselves and people around them. Mm -hmm. So we begin it with affirmation. And one of the ways that's done is that we call each other by a positive name. So everybody takes a positive adjective that usually has the same sound as their first name. Uh So, so for example, I'm Smiling Steve in the workshops. (laughs) And people get to choose whatever they want. But the interesting thing is every time somebody somebody speaks, they're supposed to introduce themselves again. I'm Smiling Steve, and what I have to say is such and such. Mm -hmm. So, and one one of our agreements is that we don't, put other people down and we don't put ourselves down either. Mm -hmm. Um, A second component is communication. We teach listening, empathy. Um, You know, really people get to experience the gift that it really is to have another human being quietly look at you and take in what you have to say without saying anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's an important part of it. We teach Uh, conflict resolution strategies. We have role plays in which people choose a situation and they act it out spontaneously. And then sometimes we'll call a freeze and see if people can rewind it and find a better way to resolve it. Uh And we discuss it. And then the other component that's so important is, is experiencing being in a caring 
community or a beloved yeah. community as the civil rights movement would have it. And, and part of that is that we do things that are called light and livelies that are really games. And this is really one of the most important features of the workshops. We do things that are really quite silly that, <laughs> that allow people to just laugh and have fun together. And um, that is as important as the, as the deeper kinds of explorations and exercises that we do. You know, this is really fascinating because, um, you know, in the Interrev, uh, interrevolution.org, we have a program called Unleashing the Power of Kids. And it's uh, through fitness, cooperation, service, and thought. And so we have these deep reflections, but we also have cooperative games because we feel that it's not only important for children to get fitness, but for them to have an experience of themselves in non-competitive situations to see how much fun it is. And it builds bonds between people because it's not just prisoners, obviously. We are in such a competitive world and we are alienated from another one another. And that makes us feel alone. And the more alone we feel, the more defensive and angry and dominating we become. So, you know, we, everything that you're saying, it just kind of made me smile when you talked about that, uh, the silliness, because we all need games. We all need to play and we need to play together and to discover the joy of supporting one another, that it feels better when yes. we're together, then it does to be on top of the heap. And I know that I'm just being horrible about Donald Trump, but he so represents us in, at our worst. You know, our egos, it's all about me. I want to dominate. I want to dominate. You know, it's all about me. And it's, this is a sickness that we have a soul sickness in our society. It's so incredible to see prisoners able to find enough support from one another and from you guys to overcome that behavior, which probably was at the core of why they became violent to begin with, some need that they had to protect themselves or that they believed that they had to protect themselves and to dominate, you know, and, to, and just put people in an environment where they don't have to do that. And, and just to have it continue, because I think this is an ongoing program. You don't just like go in there and throw people some candy and then say, you know, see you next Easter. That's right. And I think the most healing and I think maybe the most important part of the program is that experience of deep community. And I can honestly say it's something I haven't experienced in the same way outside of prison. And that's why I go back. Yeah. Uh, to be in a community where human beings are being absolutely honest yeah. and, and caring with one another is so precious. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, and healing as well, you know. We have somebody in AVP who um, started her journey over 20 years ago as a schizophrenic um, in a locked ward and basically has she said, been healed through AVP workshops. Wow. <laughs> and now she's a healthy person. Oh, uh, my gosh. And, and in fact, she's taking uh, AVP work into the mental health recovery um, movement. It's called, I guess, Recovery to Practice, where peers with mental health issues support one another. And she's 
teaching people to use AVP kinds of methods to create that same kind of beloved community. Because That's it, fabulous. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to ask yeah. a question, if I may. What sure. Do you pro- what do you provide after a workshop that helps to provide some sort of ongoing uh, deep, deep community? Well, in California, we have something that's called the Inmate Leisure Time Activity Groups. That's a long name. Uh, And, uh, for example, in the prison that I'm going to actually this coming weekend, I'll be leaving tomorrow, there are, I think there's now 13 um, ongoing groups that are led by prisoners that meet uh, once a month and continue doing AVP work. Then, of course, people who who do these three-day workshops, and the workshops, you know, they're intense. I hadn't mentioned this before, but they're about 22 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, most of the people uh, will want to continue and do the advanced workshop, which is the second workshop. And people, the advanced workshop, um, the theme of it changes depending on who's in it and what they want. So people can do more than one advanced workshop if they want. And then they go on to, if they want to, to the training for facilitators workshop. Um, and then if they still want to continue, then they, they, be, they are facilitators at that point. So, you know, then, you know, the people I've seen who have done this, who have worked in AVP for years on the inside and are now working in AVP on the outside, say that AVP grounds them. It reminds them of what's important when they start to lose track of, of you know, what matters and, 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 and the, the good road that they want to be on. So, I mean, I think those of us who do AVP see it's something that's not just something you do in a workshop, but it's a way that you live your life. Um, we have, you know, things that we call the guides to transforming power that we try to use in our daily lives. So... I'd like to uh, invite you, Steve, to come to one of our innerrevolution.org call to consciousness, which is like our spiritual service or anything, because I think you might find that what we've been doing on the outside is developing a safe community where people are totally honest. It's a little bit different. There's more intervention. I mean, it, it isn't exactly the same. It's more intervention. But we are doing the same thing in our community. We're mm-hmm. trying to do the same thing in our community. And what we, of course, come up against is, uh, is that when you're on the outside, you're so caught up in your family, in your job, in your finances, in this and that and the other thing, all the things that just keep us running the, the race to get ahead, to pay our bills, to, and to be in our egoically driven world. And then we come together, we're totally honest, and we live by spiritual principles. The principles actually that are in a book that I wrote called Living with Reality. Yes, but, I know. Uh-huh. Oh, thank you. But anyway, um, you know, so we have the opposite struggle. It is so tempting for people to continue, the, even if they're miserable, right, to continue on that, that path that they set their feet on, you know, from birth to be all about me 
in a in a world that is all about me and in that competitive world and we're trying to create this little beloved community <laughs> to right. and to reach out to others so i just you know i so applaud what you're doing i think it's so fantastic and um i would like to ask you a question personally i just, I just want to say one thing about what you just said beth which sure. is that I, I agree completely with what you said, and I think that's why I love going into prisons, because I think it's easier there yes. to realize what matters and why, you know, why we're here on this planet and that we were meant to care for one another. It's really obvious when you're in prison, but when you're out here and people are you know, telling you how you should behave and what car you should drive and all yeah. that, it's a lot more distracting. Oh, it, you know, it is so true, and then you get rewarded for having the right hairdo or, or being obsequious to the boss or any of that kind of stuff. So, yes, indeed. Well, I'm so glad that you said that, Steve. And I really would like you to, you know, to come and see if, you know, if you don't get some of that same feeling from us. Uh-huh. So, um, Steve, you, your life, why did you need this? What was it in you that made you need this? It's, you know, um I had worked in a university for a long time, and I guess I was quite um, idealistic about working there. Um, and over time, I think I lost that idealism, and I was doing work that didn't feel like my heart was in it. Mm-hmm. I would say especially when I was in charge of accreditation for my unit, which I just <laughs> to be one of the most thankless and meaningless things I'd ever been involved in. Um, And so this work is so life-affirming and so soul-enriching, and it allows me to be a a different person in a community than I learned to be in my other life, where I was spending a lot of time worrying about how smart I was and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Where I realize in AVP, it's not about being smart; it's about opening your heart, and that, and that's that's you know where I want to be. Life is life is too short to spend it going around trying to look prove, smart. You know, try to to prove anything about yourself. Exactly. How smart you are, or that you're the fastest, or you're the strongest, or the prettiest, or the best cook. I mean, look at our world. Right, and there's nothing more beautiful than connecting deeply with other human beings. Yes, except connecting with your dog. Excuse me, I think. (laughs) That's that's really the same. It is. (laughs) So was there anything in your background, would you say, in your life experience that made you particularly sensitive to this issue and, and craved this connection? Well, you know, I could think about a lot of things in my own history. Um, My grandmother on my mother's side um, uh, suffered domestic violence, Mm -hmm. um, which of course affected my mother, which of course affected me. So maybe I was sensitive to issues of violence. And, And in the university, I began near the end of my career to really focus on peace work. I was leading dialogues. I was. I became a certified mediator, um, and I was struggling in my own way. Um, I guess to be a peacemaker, maybe because I experienced myself as not 
a very peaceful person and a person mm -hmm. who has certainly, you know, been involved in conflicts, especially when I was younger. Um, but I, none of the other work that I did uh, was nearly as satisfying as AVP. So when I discovered AVP, it really helped me make the decision to, to retire. Um, oh, Oh, so you right, right, so does that mean that you're doing this volunteer work pretty much full time? Yeah, I would say pretty much full time. Yes, I'm involved in the state steering committee, and uh, I uh, help work put out the newsletter, and uh, I'm actually becoming a prison coordinator because somebody's uh, moving. So I'm I'm pretty involved with AVP. It, it's definitely where I put my energy, and I'm just grateful that I have the opportunity to to do something that feels so beneficial um, to other people and and to me because I don't want to pretend that I'm going in there saying I'm helping you. I get so much out of this. Oh, I don't think you've given that impression at all. So did you have to justify? Are retiring and doing volunteer work? Did it, did the sky fall when you said that, or was, <laughs> or did that go smoothly? You weren't married, or you had a good retirement, or something like that? Because you know, for a lot of people, that's a big move. Of course. Well, no, I was lucky enough to be sixty-seven, and 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 be happily married with a supportive spouse. Ah. Oh. And um and and Tia Kreft claims that I will be able to survive. So, you know, I'm not traveling around the world and eating caviar, but I'm not worried either. <laughs> That's very good. Caviar probably isn't good for you. Give us a website, Steve. Well, uh, to find out about AVP, there's really three places people could go. And I would just say, rather than trying to copy down a website, yeah. you, you could Google AVP California to see what's happening in our in my state where I am. But of course, your show goes everywhere across it the country. It does. So then there's AVP USA, and then there's also AVP International to get a flavor of all the work. We didn't have time to talk about that, but AVP has been doing work in Rwanda, in Palestine, Israel, um, South America, Central America. So, And this is not in prisons. This is just to deal with conflict resolution. Both in prisons both. and in, yeah, both in prisons and in communities. Fabulous. Well, I, I was going to come back and say goodbye to you and talk about that, but let's have James tell us what we're doing next week, so I'm not running out of time and get hysterical. Okay. Very good. Next <laughs> week. Next week's topic: When the ego runs for president, how can we vote for oneness? Tune in and find out. The ego boasts, manipulates, tears others down, puffs itself up, and does anything to promote itself. Does that sound like somebody running for president? Okay, we confess, we're describing Donald Trump. Does Hillary Clinton have an ego? You bet she does. She is self-protective, secretive, and willing to make deals for power. But does she also care for others? Does she think about the consequences of her words and policies? Is she responsible? Yes. And that's the difference. Donald is all eagle. Hillary is half and half. So how do we react when the ego roars? Some of us are accustomed to shrink. Some to fight back with our own egos. Some of us love the guy because we feel safer when the ego is in charge. Or we associate with him projecting that his power is ours. 
Let's do something revolutionary. Fight ego with oneness. Join us. Let's get honest about how we're reacting and why, and let's turn the tables on the ego. When the ego runs for president, let's vote for oneness. Let's talk about how. And now for a final word from Beth. Yeah, I really need that show. I really do. <laughs> but, you know, this it's so relevant, Steve, what we're talking about in the political arena to what Steve Gelb has been sharing with us. Because for so many young men, their heroes have been bullies. You know, and, and they've been taught that that's the, that's the great way to be. And I don't take any shit off anybody. And blah, 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 you know, and so they have to prove themselves. You know, whether you're trying to prove that you're the smartest, Steve, or some guys are trying to prove that they're the toughest or whatever it is. And uh, it's, a, it's a sad state of affairs. And it also has to do with our egos, which we can talk about, you know, in depth at another time. But it's so fabulous that, you, that you're working with guys who could have been like that at one time and who are now role models that real power comes from within and that real value comes from kindness. And I'm so touched by the work that you and these men and women are doing in our nation, around the world, to try to turn around the cause of violence. We can't just scream and yell at ourselves for being violent. We need the support where we don't feel like we have to be anymore. And so I just want to thank you so much for being with us today and sharing this remarkable journey with us. And I'm sending you lots of hugs and kisses and um, my admiration to you and to the people in prison. And my prayer is that someday we have a whole different system to deal with people in their disability so that we don't lock up so many good people and never give them the chance to give to us and to their world. So thank you, Steve. Thank you so much, Beth, for the opportunity to talk with you about AVP. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.